Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is March the 8th, 2021. This is episode 2,837 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Monday, and we're doing a listener roundtable today. Here's where it's a little bit different than it's been for, well, the recent present, I guess. Um... We are going to talk a little bit more about kind of current event stuff out of the news today than is typical for us. And we're going to do that because I think we're reaching a point where people maybe need to pick their head up a little bit and look out and see what's going on in crazy land so that we can adjust what we do in our lives here at home with our home setting, our permaculture, and our life-level decisions, like where we're going to live and why we're going to live there. We're also going to talk about cryptocurrency some today, and there's there's a, a really good reason for that. Um, I am more and more becoming convinced that 2021 is the year of crypto. Like, as good as everything has been across the long haul, that we're hitting the point where things are going to start dropping really, really fast, and a lot of people that are using that, that continuous statement that I find absolutely pathetic of, well, I missed the opportunity, are, are going to once again miss the opportunity. And we have a great quote on that note today. Um, we're going to talk about a new crypto. It's not really new. It's about two years. I guess that's new in the space of crypto, but new to me. And I kind of wish somebody would have told me about this damn thing like a year ago. A uh, new crypto called Algorand, A-L-G-O-R-A-N-D, Algorand. Uh, something I just discovered over the weekend. I put a few bucks in it, and I'll tell you why. And why I think it's, a, it's, it's, it's really got a lot of future potential. Uh, moving on from there, we are going to talk about, remember back in the late summer and early fall last year, right? You know, we're, we're, I was not talking about the stock market. I was talking about major cities in the United States, especially flashpoint cities like, I don't know, New York City. And I said, and I quote myself here, quote, get out, get out, get out, end quote. Remember that? I remember. And what just happened is more vindication. It's not vindication. It's more because there's like a metric shit ton of vindication. I'm going to tell you what happened in New York City over the weekend that tells you how right I was when I told you that and how my advice is still good. If you're in these major cities, get out, get out, get out. We'll talk about that. The CDC has some new guidance for you if you have received your Kill Gates death shots, uh, known as the vaccine for COVID-19, which you probably do not need. And I'm going to tell you about a headline of an article that between the time I found it and decided I wanted to put it in the article, which was about 25 minutes ago, and the time I went back to grab it, it disappeared. I think it hit too close to the nerve. And it was on CNN, and it's like there's a feed with like things posted on CNN, And it still was in the feed. I took a screenshot of it. I put it somewhere else. And you could read the article, but you couldn't get to the article. I guess the Ministry of Truth didn't like the level of truth. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about the fact that yesterday I had to go out to pick some stuff up for the farm, which I hate doing, by the way. I feel like if you, if some of you will get a, a, a nerd kick out of this. When I go out, on a weekend and go to a store, I'm like, this is for muggles, right? Like, this is for muggles. Like, I, I have no business leaving my home to go to a store on a weekend. It's just, 
foolhardy, but I, I had to. Uh, but while I was in the car, I turned on talk radio, which was stupid, I, I admit, and, and I heard some direct lies. And I'm going to tell you what they were and how I know they're direct lies about COVID in Texas. So direct and so provable that it leads us right into our next segment today, which is why the statement, I trust science, can only be made in direct ignorance of what science is. You cannot say you trust science and not be ignorant of science. I'm not going to, when I, I, I am going to talk about these issues prior to it and some other things after it. During that segment, I am not going to make it specific to any issue. I'm going to keep it at a very high level, just about what science is, what it's supposed to be, and how ignorant, how fundamentally ignorant our society has become to what science even is supposed to be. And why, when we say that, we're making nothing but a fallacy called an appeal to authority. Then I'm going to tell you about some more COVID news, because why not? The Brits are celebrating today, too. Not only has the CDC made a statement that is absolutely asinine, you get some limited freedoms with your shots. The British government, in their benevolence, because they are a benevolent and giving God-like entity anyway, the Brits today are celebrating one of their freedoms has been restored. What freedom? I'll tell you when we get there, because I want you to... I, I don't want to give you too much in the intro, okay? And then... We're going to finish up with some little quick more talk about cryptocurrency. More institutional money is coming into Bitcoin. How about a half a billion? A half a billion dollars. That's real money, you know, from a single Norwegian firm. And why the entire institutional outlook on Bitcoin specifically is changing. Something that um, it's a magic number. It's a magic number, and it's, it's one that we're, we're teetering on here, back and forth. And as you cross over it, the entire attitude of institutional investors changes. So, and with that, let's jump into this. I want to start out with a quote, and since I'm going to talk somewhat about cryptocurrency today, kind of a crypto sandwich today, I guess, beginning and ending. Um, I was looking for a quote about opportunity, and I really loved this quote because it was so spot on with how so many people have treated the cryptocurrency opportunity over 11 years now, okay? If a window of opportunity appears, don't pull down the shade. This is from Tom Peters. If you haven't heard of him, Tom Peters is kind of a Jack Welch type guy, right? He's a uh, management and business uh, advisor type, uh, very well-known author, uh, very successful man in the world of business, and still out doing his thing, speaking and teaching and writing books. But I, I love the quote, if a window of opportunity appears, don't pull down the shade. That's how I feel so many people have treated cryptocurrency. And here's... Here's where I think some of this is coming from. A lot of you guys have listened to this show enough, and I just did a show last week on it, where you understand how mon mon monetary policy works in the United States. You understand how money is created by banks. And you get it. And you're like, I don't like it, but I understand it. Have you ever tried to explain this to somebody who's not yet really awake to the fundamental reality of the world? Have you ever tried to explain that to them? If you haven't, you might want to try. Get somebody who, uh, you know, don't make it political or anything. Just say, do you know how we how money is printed in the United States? And they say, well, the government prints it. And it's like, well, I'm going to let that go because it's not the government. It's the Federal Reserve. But I, I, don't, I don't mean that. I mean, do you know how money is printed by banks in the United States? And I do mean the bank that you go to and have your checking account with. Do you understand how they print money out of thin air? And you'll probably get a no. 
and then explain fractional reserve banking. Explain how they loan money they don't have against your promise to pay it back. And watch their eyes. They will glass over. And the reason behind it is pretty simple. It is that simple. And the mind is repelled by its simplicity. It is so against what they've been conditioned to believe. And everything in society has conditioned people to believe certain things work a certain way. And when you explain it, even if they're open to it not being the way it was explained, when you explain that it's this simple, they just simply write a check with money they don't have to give you money that never existed until they gave it to you, and your willingness to repay it created the money. Because it sounds stupid, doesn't it? It sounds stupid. The 10% reserve requirement sounds like it makes sense. You know, I have a million, I hold 100,000 in reserve, and I can loan out, you know, 900,000. That, that, that seems a little risky, but hey, the banks know what they're doing. They wouldn't do anything stupid. But I have a million, and I can loan out 9 million against it. When I don't have money, it's not like I can loan out against it, but I get the money from somewhere else. It's not like, just so you guys understand, it's not like, okay, so I'm the Bank of Jack, I have a million dollars, right? And so since I have a million dollars in reserves, the Federal Reserve of the United States loans me the nine million that I lend out. I get the real money from, it doesn't work that way. I literally write a check to you for a mortgage against which I have no collateral, only the house that you're buying, and you're promised to repay it. Now, most of you get that. But again, try to explain this to your aunt, your aunt Edna. Try to explain it to your Uncle Joe. Try to explain it to most people. And they, they just, ugh, the mind is repelled. When we talk about cryptocurrency, no matter how fundamentally well you understand why it works, how it works, and what it does, when you try to tell a person, listen, we can create a means by which we can exchange goods and services for real value and use for the purpose of accounting a currency that somebody just created, it's the same thing. And many of you that understand the monetary creation thing, but you get kind of frustrated with me when I talk about crypto and you're sure it's all going to go bust one day or whatever, you're in the same place that first person we talked about was. It's so simplistic that you can't accept it. But, but I'd like you to take a little bit different of a look at it today. Most people that would listen to this show would agree the government is incompetent. That in general, governments of the world are incompetent and malicious. They, they, anything they do could be done better by the private sector. Think about that. Do you believe that? That just about anything the government does, a, 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 a situation where you had a private sector solution with multiple choices where you could choose who you used for that service would be a better solution than what a government monopoly can provide. Okay, then how is money any different? And the answer is it's not. It's a lot like why people actually think that it makes sense that in Maryland, to teach first grade, after five years in your profession as a licensed teacher, you have to have obtained a master's degree or you lose your license to teach in the state of Maryland. Does that make any sense? And how is that connected? Okay, we've convinced people that only a magical, special, certified person with a college degree is qualified to teach grade school. 
when anybody with common sense would say, you know, a fifth grader with some, you know, emotional maturity about them that got A's in first through fifth grade should be more than qualified to teach first grade. Right? I mean, the only place they would be lacking is the emotional maturity to control the classroom. But intellectually, if you are a fifth grader that's received straight A's from kindergarten through fifth grade, and you can't teach first grade, you didn't learn anything, and your teacher sucks. But we've convinced, but so there's no possible way a parent could do it. Homeschooling's crazy. It's the same mindset. We get programmed into these beliefs. And I just want you to kind of change a little bit how you look at something like cryptocurrency. If, if you're in the camp of the doubter. The government's going to make it illegal. No, they're not. Because too much money's pouring into it now. I just had a discussion with John Pugliano, and he, he thinks cryptocurrency is neat, but he doesn't want anything to do with it. And he's like, well, if they ever do decide, because they can tax it. You know, if they once they create their own digital dollar, digital euro, when you funge into it, it'll trace everything, and then you'll have to pay taxes on it. Taxing a thing and killing a thing are not the same thing. Plenty of things are taxed. They're not dead. My house is taxed. Is property dead? My income is taxed. Is my income dead? And there's a lot of ways around that, but even if you could tax it all, all you're saying then is, okay, then we're going to normalize it and tax it. And then it, so think about this. What do they tax that ever goes away? Nothing. Once they start receiving money from a thing, then it must be defended and protected. We'll come back more to this. I want to tell you about a cryptocurrency. I want you to, I'm not making a buy recommendation here. Okay? I just want you to maybe take a look at it and see if you can fully understand it and see if it makes sense to you, especially, as I say, if you own no cryptocurrency, this is probably not the place to start. I think the safest investment in crypto is Bitcoin. And I'd say the second safest is probably Ethereum, even though this might be an Ethereum killer long term. Maybe. I don't know. It's called Algorand, ticker symbol, ticker symbol Algo. It's what's known as a pure proof-of-stake cryptocurrency. So there's two primary types of cryptocurrency. There's proof-of-stake and proof-of-work. The original cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, is proof-of-work. Computers compete for who gets to vote the next block in is valid and earn a reward for being the one that does that. And it uses mathematical computations that we won't get into today. But the more valuable a crypto becomes, the more profitable mining it becomes, the more competition, the more energy expended to get it to, to work... Because this is another thing people struggle with. With proof of work, the more people competing, the higher the difficulty. The less people competing, the lower the difficulty. Difficulty actually adjusts up and down in the algorithm based on participation so that if like half the people stop mining a cryptocurrency, it doesn't stop working. Okay, that's a, a big misnomer that people have. So... Algorand works on the other model, which is proof of stake. And this is where some amount of crypto, of, of the, the type you're, you're producing, is put up in a stake. Just like you would think of putting a stake up, like in a poker game, right? Except you're not going to lose it. And what this does is it ensures that the nodes voting on the block stay honest because they can lose all of their stake. And there's different versions of this. ARC, which is a, a project I still really like, uses what's called delegated proof of stake. So obviously that doesn't mean you're going to have everybody participating because how does that work if everybody's running a node? So there's a certain number. I think with ARC it's 56 or 46 or something like that. And you pick 
a delegate, and you 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 stake your money against their delegate, and they run the node, and it works really well. And Ark is a fantastic cryptocurrency. It does have a fundamental security weakness, and that is since we know who all the delegates are, if somebody was sophisticated, they could maybe crash the network just by identifying where the nodes are, and instead of trying to take over the blockchain. How about a, dedica a dedicated denial of service attack on the individuals running the nodes? Now, with a system like ARC, it should just place in the next round of delegates, but they could also be attacked. And then you have to re it, see what I'm saying. It could, there is a vulnerability there that even though I like ARC, I have, to, I have to identify. Now, with Algo, it works a little bit differently. Everybody that's holding Algo one way or another, is participating in the proof of stake. By holding, you are. And you can go into the actual like dedicated Algorand wallet, and you can set up where you're basically in a random drawing to be the next person to vote a block in. And I don't know how to do that because I didn't bother. And the reason is, in certain wallets, and specifically the Exodus wallet, if you hold Algo, right now you make about 6.99% interest, APR, on your Algo. That's all you do is put it in your wallet. You don't have to, it's not like ARC where you have to vote or anything. You just earn return. And it works, and I tried it over the weekend, and I made a little bit of Algo already. Now, of course, if you put one Algo in there, you will earn a return on it, but it'll be a long time before it adds up to anything. So there's a volume to return issue just like anything else. Like if you had a bank account that paid 6% interest or 7% interest, and you put 10 bucks in it, you wouldn't be surprised when you didn't make a lot of money this month. But I want you to think about the fact that bank accounts, at least CDs, which tied your money up, which this does not. But in general, like back in the mid-80s, earning 6% in a savings account was pretty standard. It would go as high as 8%. You could easily get 8 8.5% in a CD back then. And, of course, that, that world is gone. So you see these cryptos that are paying staking rewards kind of hitting the, the mark of what made sense to keep money in savings. Now, here's the magic for Algo as far as solving what you call the trilemma. So what we need with a crypto to be perfect, right, or be as close to perfect as we can get, we need to be fast, we need it to be secure, and we need it to be cheap, Okay, this is if you're in computing, you know this trilemma very well. You can have it fast and cheap or fast and reliable, right? But we want fast, secure, cheap in cryptocurrency. How does Algo do this? It does it because so everybody's staking. If you're holding Algo in any kind of wallet, you're part of the staking pool. And you could be selected at any time in these really fast blocks. They're either five or ten second block times. As one of the proof-of-stake people that gets to basically vote in the next block. Great. Thousands, millions of these people, right, that are out there, that could at any time be the network for this transaction. They're selected at random. They're selected at random. So, and the block time, again, is incredibly fast. Let's say it's 10 seconds. I think it might be faster than that. So if you're a hacker and you want to attack those people, They're selected. You have 10 seconds and they're gone. And it's going to take you some time to figure out who they are, and you're already on the next block randomly selecting the next people. And then 10 seconds you're and you're on the next block. It's, it's a moving target you can't hit. 
It's already got all the complexity of taking something over that a blockchain would, but now the people or the places doing it, and this leads to true decentralization. It's stupid cheap, and it's stupid fast. And you can buy it on most major exchanges. They, I think they even have it listed in Coinbase. So if you're holding some Bitcoin and you want a little bit of this, you can buy it on Coinbase. Does Coinbase pay the staking reward? I don't know. If they do, do they pay it? commensurate with holding it in the Exodus wallet? I don't know. Would I hold my money on Coinbase? No, anyway. Not your keys, not your coins. So I make some money from Coinbase from referrals. I think they're a great on-ramp. But every week or two or three, you know, when I get up to a little over a hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin in rewards, I get my money the hell out of Coinbase. If I want to keep it in Bitcoin, I just send it to one of my wallets. If I want to exchange it, I send it to exchange, I exchange it and send it to my, one of my wallets. I do not leave money sitting on an exchange. The Exodus wallet is not an exchange. Now, there is a back-end kind of swap service in it that functions like an exchange, but it's a wallet. You have your private key and you have your passphrase. So I just wanted you guys to know about that. And I'm, I'm looking at this crypto, and there's only one thing I don't like about it, how much of it there is. Now, to be fair, Ethereum doesn't even have a cap, but it's like billions and billions of these things exist. And there's a pretty high inflation curve, i.e. new algo coming out every year. But I want you to think about this a little bit different. A problem for you, if you're holding money, dollars, in a bank account, is that even if you're earning a little bit of interest, say a 1%, And even if they tell you inflation's like 2.4 or something like that, the reality is that real inflation's around 6 to 8%. Hmm, that's an interesting number. Hold on to it for a second. So by holding, let's say you hold $1,000 for a year. At the end of that year, you have still have $1,000, but whatever the inflation rate is, is, is devalued it. So essentially, you might as well have $920. Bucks. All right? Real simple to understand. What if the inflation, instead of taken from your money, was paid into your money? So it's not a deflationary currency like Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a deflationary currency. It's a deflationary asset. That's why it keeps going up so much in value. But what if you had a, a currency that you could spend in seconds with almost instant settlement with very, very low fees anywhere in the world, one wallet to another, and it was inflationary, but you got most of the inflation paid to you against the money you were holding anyway. Now, the money you spent is gone. Somebody else gets it. Now, if you want it to get better, this thing was built so that other people could build on top of it instead of trying to fork it. And no less than Tether, USDT, the, the, the biggest stable coin out there, has moved over and is running its backbone across Algorand. That got my attention, and that's why I dug into this. Anyway, the guy that, that invented it, I can't think of his name now, uh, Sil Silvio McCalley, I think is how you say his name, he is an MIT cryptography professor, and to say that this guy is a noted cryptographer is an understatement. Um, they're also sitting on about $130 million in, in money that they raised to develop and market it, and their list of advisors and board members and team is beyond impressive. So I think what you have is a potential, not guaranteed, potential Ethereum killer. Ethereum is going on a two-year path right now with people staking their money to hopefully earn something 
on the hope that there will be an Ethereum 2.0 that will go to a full proof of stake. This is already here and it already works. And I invite you to take a look at their website, look at the use case scenarios, look at the people already using it, look at the partnerships. I have not seen something with this much potential, again, potential, I'm not advising you to buy here, potential to empower other technologies since ARC. And I would say this is probably better. It's definitely more secure. Does that mean I dumped all my ARC and went all in an all go? No. And it's way up. It was like a quarter at the beginning of the year, and it's like a dollar and change right now. So a lot of things are at kind of near all-time highs. Be careful. Dollar cost average, don't put any money in, you can't afford to lose, etc. But again, if you can't tell, this is something that I have not seen anything that's this good or has this much potential for quite a while. This is uh, this may be another one of those things like R in a different way, earth-shattering. Now, what what is a weakness? What's a downside? There is no privacy. You have one address. I guess you could you could set up multiple wallets and send to them so you had multiple addresses. But, I mean, the way it works is you have a single address because that address is interacting for rewards. It's not designed to be a privacy coin. It's not. It, it's designed by an MIT professor, guys. It's not designed to be under the table. It's, des it's designed to work. And it's designed to serve the Fortune 500. It's designed to serve the biggest people in crypto, the above-board world. And that's not a bad thing. It just is what it is, and you need to know that. And I don't know. I, I'm wondering if there would even be a way to do something like an Algorand as a privacy coin. I'm not sure it's doable. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'd love to see somebody do it. Um, next up, <laughs> I want to just say that Back in August, September, November, I said very, August, September, October into November, I said very forcefully, many times, it's long since time to get out of season. I think I actually did a show in that time frame that literally that was the title of it, Get Out. And I have tried over and over again to explain how serious I am about this. And I'm not necessarily saying to go hell and high water away from every city. I'm saying you don't want to be in the city proper, and you don't want to be in the Beltway suburbs. You want to get at least outside of that range. And if you don't, the cities are headed for this world where it becomes incredibly oppressive, and it also becomes incredibly dangerous at the same time. And this whole defund the police makes bad worse. Because eventually they're going to bring the police back, but the police will be doing something different when they come back. We won't get into that today, but it won't be fixing this problem. So Mayor de Blasio, or I call him de Blasio, Mayor de Blasio's wife uh, apparently was pretty big on um, defunding the police and uh, was the bug in the ear that got him thinking, yeah, you know what, This def the, the defunding the police is probably a good idea. Well, over the weekend... Mr. Blosio came out and started calling on New Yorkers to intervene in crime if they see crime occurring. Because the police are defunded, because they can't stop the crime, they need you, citizen, good citizen of the city of New York, when you see a crime happening, to go risk your effing life to stop the crime. Now, this would include something like, here I'm walking down the street, Right, And normally, like the guy doing what I'm about to describe is either going to get stabbed in the throat or shot in the face. 
But he's he's assaulting a woman to steal her shit, her, her, her purse or whatever. And he's got a gun or a knife or a sharpened screwdriver. And I, as a good citizen, it's following the advice of de Blasio and Mr. De Blasio. I'm, I, I am forbidden from carrying anything that could be used as a weapon. And I'm supposed to risk my ass to save this person, who I probably want to save, by the way, whether Mr. De Blasio wants me to or not. I'm supposed to risk my life. And I have no ability to defend myself other than my, my physical capabilities. Worse, you don't think they're going to prosecute me for vigilantism? You, do you think that even when de Blasio and de Blasio miss come out and say to do this, that's going to be a defense in a court of law? You think if I'm walking down the street in New York and I see somebody assaulting somebody and I beat the living piss out of them and I happen because there's a real fight and they don't give up, And so when I get them a certain way and I see a wall and crack and that person ends up dead or in a coma or severely disabled and drooling in a cup for the rest of their life the way they should be, you don't think I'm going to get prosecuted? Do you think Mr. Blosio is going to come and Blosio me out of prison? No. This is what they've done. And I know some of you are like, Jack, you're an anarchist. Shouldn't you be for defunding the police? Yes and no. Defunding the police without changing the system fundamentally, to put something in place to see to the security of individuals and their property is asinine. 100%, all the time, every way it's possible. As the de Blasios now seem to be, you know, kind of sort of getting in touch with. Like, this, maybe this was such a good idea. Maybe they'll come attack Casa de Blasio next, right? Yeah. So, if I'm empowered to defend my property and defend the property of the innocent around me, if that's okay. If I'm not going to prison because when somebody tries to break in my home, I put a bullet in their brain. If I'm not going to prison because when somebody is accosted on the street and I break the son of a bitch's neck doing the accosting, well, okay. If it's completely okay for me to, to create Jack's security services... Well, we don't just walk around and look like security. If you try to mess with one of our clients, we actually screw you up hard and make you wish you didn't do it. If we're going to go there, then we can defund the police. But when we're going to disarm the public, defund the police, and then beg the citizens to defend other citizens because the city can't do the one thing that government is actually supposed to do, which is provide security, get out, get out, get out. If I am literally at the point now where if you're willing to read the article where Mr. Blosio says to do this and understand what happened here, and you still want to push back against my call to get out, I'm done with you. And I don't mean to be a dick, but I also know that there is a point at which a person has renounced reason to the point that arguing with them further is pointless. It's like playing chess with a pigeon. The pigeon can't play chess but it will shit all over the board and strut around like it won. There is no point to the exercise. So get out. Um, now, this is an interesting one. The CDC has come out with new guidance. Everybody's very excited. For people who have had their vaccination, the full course of it, whatever that means, one from Johnson & Johnson and the time afterward, two from the other ones, gone through their troubles, had all of their bad reactions, recovered from the vaccine, and now they're giving you some freedoms back. Now, what I thought was really interesting about this 
is I went and I read an article on CNN. And the article said, and I do quote, new CDC guidance gives some limited freedoms to people who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. And I read that and I went, wait a minute. I, I, I mean, I agree with it. I just don't believe I just read it on CNN. I don't believe that they would so blatantly phrase it that way. So I left the tab open, or thought I did anyway, and then I closed it. And I'm like, where the hell did it go? I checked in my, my history. I saw it in my history. I clicked on it. I got an error page. What? So I took and I searched for an exact match of the headline, which is, again, New CDC guidance gives some limited freedoms to people who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. The CDC has granted you, dear citizen, some limited freedoms if and only if you're fully vaccinated against COVID-19. So I do this exact match search. I find a CNN page. The CNN page has an article that says, live update, CDC receives new guidelines for Americans vaccinated against COVID-19. And when I look down, there's like a secondary feed, kind of like a Twitter feed or something like that, of prior articles and write-ups on CNN. And first one, for now, while I'm reading it, it's and there's 13 new updates. If I click that, maybe I'll never see it again. There's a picture of some syringes and some vaccination shit. And it says, new CDC guidance gives some limited freedoms to people who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. So it's still there, but you can't get to it. And if you try to click on it... There's no place. There's no read more. There's no, and if you do a search for this, it's like it doesn't exist. You, 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 you can't find it. You can't, you just can't find it. It's like the Ministry of Truth went, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's way too much truth. I mean, we're the Ministry of Truth, but we, we don't need to spell it out for them. That the CDC is determining what freedoms they have and is willing to grant them limited freedom if they do what they're told to do. Anyway, I digress. So that happened. I have a screenshot that's out on Float. I have a link to that in the show notes if you want to see it to prove that it happened. But here's the new guidelines. This is what the CDC says your, the CDC says your new limited freedoms are. And I'm wondering if Jen Christensen is in trouble with the Ministry of Truth for that headline. Anyway. The CDC guidance says fully vaccinated people can, one, visit other vaccinated people indoors without masks or physical distancing. You may now go visit someone, if and only if they have had a vaccination too, indoors, and you can do that without masks or physical distancing. You can actually talk to your friend if you both of you were sheep and went and got the vaccination. You can also visit indoors with unvaccinated people. From a single household, without masks or physical distancing, if the unvaccinated people are low risk for severe disease. And you can skip a quarantine and testing if you're exposed to someone who had COVID-19, but they were asymptomatic, but you should still monitor for symptoms for 14 days. However, people who are fully vaccinated still need to take precautions in many scenarios. The guidelines say fully vaccinated people still must. Wear a mask and keep good physical distance around unvaccinated who are at increased risk for severe COVID-19 if the unvaccinated person has a household member who is at higher risk. So can we have coffee together? Well, I don't know. 
you don't look like you're high risk. Do you have any family members who are? Yeah, we're going to have to keep physical distancing and triple mask and get anal swabbed. Okay. And you must wear a mask and physically distance when visiting unvaccinated people who are from multiple households. So I can have, I can have coffee with my buddy David or coffee with my buddy Michael, but not Michael and David. You know what? Go screw. Let me explain to you these limited freedoms. <laughs> There's never been a time where I live, where anybody did less than this already. I'm talking May, April, last year. We did all this shit. What saddens me is that there's people actually obeying this shit. The CDC should have no authority over your life whatsoever. They're not in charge of you. Now, this is not the World Health Organization, Right? Where you're like, ah, oh, piss off. This is for people in India that are dumb enough to listen to them. This is your CDC. Which is the largest vaccination company in the world, by the way. That makes more money on vaccinations than the people that make the vaccinations. I'm just saying. New CDC guidance gives some limited freedoms to people who are fully vaccinated. You can take your limited freedoms. And you can... Sh remember Chris Tucker in uh, the Jackie Chan thing he did? I can't remember what it was called now. But at the end, the FBI guys say, you know what, man? After all this, if you're interested, there's an FBI badge with your name on it. He says, FBI badge. Tell you what you do with that FBI badge. Shove it up your ass, all up in your ass. That's what you can do with your limited freedom, CDC. The state of Texas is getting a bunch of hoopla now because we're ending all restrictions and ending all mask mandates as of Wednesday. Texas never looked anything like New Jersey or Pennsylvania or New York or Connecticut or California or Washington or Oregon. We never did. We did have mass requirements in stores. Many people ignored them, and very few stores did anything about it. I think the store managers were like, you know, we'll put the sign up. Maybe we'll say something to people, but in general, you know, it's not our job to force this. And life just pretty much went on as normal. I, I've been out to eat dozens of times in the middle of this supposed pandemic lockdown. And our state's no worse than anywhere else. But we're not immune to propaganda. So here's the propaganda I heard yesterday on the radio. This was the claim, and I changed the station, and it's you know, when everybody's having their break, and it's like they're reading the same script. The following are up, alarmingly up in the state of Texas. Cases, deaths, and hospitalizations. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's, did something happen I don't know about? So when I got home, I pulled up the state of Texas's official statistics website where they update it daily, and there's all types of data that you can gather, and you can certainly get the number of deaths, cases, and hospitalizations. And the number of cases is continuing on a downward trend. There's a little blip up, but then it goes right back down again. Now, here's why. A few weeks ago, we had, I don't know if you heard, we had a cold front here, a big one. Power went out, people's houses were, you know, frozen, no, you couldn't drive anywhere or whatever. So in that week, less people got tested, so the case count went really down. But then there's this little, like, hook up, and it starts going down again. Right after, because then everybody, because, you know, COVID doesn't, re, it's not really serious if it's too cold to go to the doctor, Right. 
So the case count artificially dropped a little lower. But when you correct for it, it's still like this cliff of case count dropping. That's right on the Texas website. Deaths, the number given is incredibly misleading. Because they're backdating deaths that are months old at this point and reporting them as new deaths. So you can't even look at the daily new death number because every once in a while they decide to classify 200 deaths over two or three months as COVID deaths and they're backdating them, but they're reporting them as new, even though on the graph they're not. So if you look at the actual graph of deaths, it's a cliff down the other side. And this is the one I want to share with you because this is the data that you can mostly trust that is in direct conflict with the lie that they were telling. Hospitalizations are up, alarmingly up. Really? Because here's what the official Texas website that receives all the data from the hospital bed says about that. I'm going to start with how many people were in the hospital with COVID-19 as of 224, which is 11 days ago. Okay? And I want you to understand something about hospital statistics. This has nothing to do with fake deaths. This is hospitalization. This is real, and the hospitals completely and totally admit to this. If I get in a car wreck and I need to be hospitalized and I have no symptoms of COVID and I'm admitted to the hospital, of course they test me for COVID because it's a pandemic, and I have COVID, I'm listed as a COVID patient in the hospital, which is true. So what that means is not every person in the hospital in this number is sick with COVID. They're in the hospital and they have COVID. Let's say most of them are sick with COVID and they're in the hospital because of COVID. If the number goes up, that seems bad. And that's what the radio told me yesterday. I heard it very clearly. You guys know me. I'm intelligent enough to know what I'm being told. Well, on 224, there were 6,724 hospitalizations. On 225, there were 6,185 on 226, there were 5,912. You see a pattern yet? On 227, there were 5,696. 5, on 228, there were 5,611. On 3 1, 56, 44. It's the only day that goes up out of all these days. On 3 2, 5508. And as of yesterday, 4,721. So we have dropped our hospital count over 11 days by 2,000 patients. And when we look at the total, it's about 30%. The number has dropped, not 30% cumulative, 30% of the total have, have left the hospital and not been replaced in 11 days. 30% down. Again, 30% of the total. The ratio drop is much higher when you, when you look at it that way. And the, 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 the people on the radio in Texas, local radio stations, not CNN interrupting them, local people told me yesterday that the hospital count was up dramatically and disturbingly. And so were deaths and so were cases. And all three numbers are dramatically down. And if you doubt me, dear citizen... I invite you to go by the survivalpodcast.com today. Look up episode 2837. I invite you to go down into 
um, the show notes, and I invite you to look for a link that says where I get my data about COVID case counts in Texas. And when you look that up, you will see that it is the official Texas website. It is where the official data is published. And if anything, it errors to the side of it's worse than it is. And you will see this in direct conflict with everything that the radio told me yesterday. I want you to really think about that. This is not lying based on opinion. This is lying in direct, easily checked uh, opposition to fact. These things are up. No, they're not. They're down. And they get away with it. They get away. They should be sued into oblivion. Everybody that does this in media, that makes a statement directly in conflict, provably with facts, should be sued into oblivion. Where are you lawyers when we need you? This leads me to my next section. I just want to touch on this quickly. I, I feel a moral imperative that I say this about science, and I trust the science, and I believe in science. If you say either one of these things, I trust science or I believe in science, you don't understand science. So what I'd like to give you is a 60-second lesson in the scientific method that you should have learned in sixth grade, maybe fifth grade, how the scientific method works. The scientific method was developed so that we could stop having faith in things or believing in things and testing so that we could best know what is most knowable at the time. That's what it's for. And the way it works is we have experimental groups and control groups And we directly test the data. And then we report. We don't proclaim. We report our data at the end of that. And then it is given to other scientists to do what's called a peer review of it. And they try to replicate our data. And if multiple people can replicate the data in multiple independent experiments, then we have a valid theory. Not fact. Not settled science. We have a valid theory based on the data we have at the time. Okay, And for this to work, it must be the case, if it is scientific, that at any time, the existing science can be challenged, and we can have a public, open, vigorous, academic debate about the issue. And the person citing the science should, at minimum, even if they don't know all the new data, be able to cite and explain the data that has drawn the current theory where it came from, why it's there, and the validity behind it, how it was tested, that it was tested in the first place, what the results were, and what anything that's like, you know, it looks like this, but here's some things that are kind of not quite consistent that we're not sure about yet. If you don't know all that, and you say, but I trust the science, you're saying, I believe in authority. You are professing an article of faith no different than saying, I believe in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry, that's not an offense to you if you're Christian. But when you say you believe in Jesus Christ, you are basing that on pure faith. If you weren't, it wouldn't be faith. It would be knowledge. And you don't know that, you believe that. And I don't have a problem with religion as long as you don't try to use it to control my life. I have my religion, you have yours, we go about our, our, our own lives And we don't use religion to control other people. And I think most people agree with that. Because if we can use your religion to control other people, we can use mine or somebody else's. Some religions are pretty harsh on how we treat people who don't follow the religion. I don't think we should have that in our government. If we, if we have a whole little clause in our Constitution about not doing that, right? All right, And there's good reason for it. And the purpose of science was to allow us to explain things methodically and logically, and always advance our understanding on a daily basis. 
So when somebody says the science is settled, that person has ignorance of what science is. Or they're, they have malice and they don't care what science is. You take your pick. It's one or the other. There is no such thing as settled science. There's no such thing as settled science. One more time. There's no such thing as settled science. And when you enter a place where when a person has an opposing view, they are shouted down, they are silenced, they are mocked, they are called names, they are oppressed, and they are canceled, you have exited anything that has a semblance of science. I don't care what the issue is. I don't care if it's an issue that I happen to agree with the consensus on. I don't care. The person with the opposition still needs to be refuted with facts and data, not some ass clown on TV who doesn't know the first thing about science, who has no medical degree, reading a script. That's not science. A script isn't science. Okay? Science is science. Science is a method. It's not an entity. Science is not an entity, and it's not an authority. And what happened was men realized the church had too much power because it assigned everything to God. It rained because God wanted it to. It didn't rain because God didn't want it to. This person died because God wanted them dead. This person lived because God wanted them alive. Flies spontaneously appear when there's raw meat. We don't know why, but God must want the flies. So they took the flies, or they took the meat, and they put the meat in a jar. And they put a cover on the other jar. And maggots and flies appeared on one, but not the other. Huh. So the flies lay the eggs to produce the maggots that turn into flies. Then we understood that. This, again, is this is experiments that we're explaining to you, hopefully, 5th, 6th, 7th grade level. And that's what science was. Science was not meant to become a new god. It was meant to remove the excuse, God did it, from our mindset. And it, science does not necessarily negate the existence of God. Science does not necessarily negate even a fundamental belief in God from a particular ideology, let's say Christianity. Because no matter how real the laws of physics and nature are, if God is what that group claims it is, then God can break those rules. But day to day, I think we're all better off with a fundamental understanding of science because we have things like, you know, internal combustion engines because of science. We have computers because of science. And science, again, is built on the precipice that everything is to constantly be tested and pulled at. And if it can't survive that, and it is destroyed by that, then it deserves to be destroyed by that. The people in charge understand this perfectly well. They are not ignorant. They are malicious. And they so believe in their narrative and their goals and their agenda, they can't risk having science actually used as science. So they have taken science, they have created a false god of it, And they've told you to trust science or believe in science. And it amazes me when I hear medical doctors saying, I believe in science. How do you have a medical degree? How are you certified as a physician? And those words come out of your mouth. You should lose. I, I swear to God, I really believe that a, a medical professional who says, I believe in science, the way that we're talking about, it, should lose their license to practice medicine. You have no business being a doctor. None. If you trust science, you have no business being a doctor. You have no business being a scientist. You have no business being in research. You can't possibly do your job. It's like a police detective saying, you know when I interview people about a crime, 
I believe everything they tell me. Think about it. That's exactly what it is. What is your job as a detective? You doubt everybody. I'm a detective. You tell me somebody broke in your house. Okay. And it's a big enough issue that they don't just send a beat cop out to write up a thing for your insurance company. Something's amiss here. Very expensive things disappeared. And it's not clear what happened. So the beat cop goes, yeah, I'm going to refer this to the detective. Now I show up. And you say, I don't know. I left the house. I activated the alarm. I came back. The alarm never went off. And everything was gone. It's just like it was now. As soon as I saw it, I called you. You could be telling me the truth. But what's my job? To pick and pull and prod and determine, are you, are you being honest with me? Or is this insurance fraud? I mean, I don't know. And I know that I don't know. And then when I talk to you, it may turn out that, hey, I, I, I actually think this guy's telling me the truth. Based on everything I know in my training, my instincts, and everything lines up, his alibi checks out, whatever. But maybe one little piece of information comes out about somebody you talked to about it once. And I go talk to them. And they say, I don't even remember that conversation. What's my job? I don't believe you. You could be telling me the truth. I still don't believe it. I must pull and prod and I must investigate and I must determine. And I might end up going, you know what? Bill told me about Tom. I went and talked to Tom. I think Tom's telling me the truth too. But Tom casually mentioned something he didn't even realize. He may have given away the, the fact that this stuff was here. Because sooner or later, if I'm doing my job right, I'm going to find somebody that's lying. Very seldom people, you know, you got me. You got me, copper. I, I stole all this fancy artwork or whatever, and I sold it to my fence buddy. His name's Mike. He's down the road. You can go get it back. It's over there. Here, put the cuffs on me. Right? My job as a detective is to doubt everything and to go where the evidence leads. That's the job of a scientist. So if we came at criminal activity the way that science is coming at science today, and we, you know, we went to a robbery and we said, well, it's a robbery, case closed. We don't know who did it. We'll never know who did it. Case closed. That's the science is settled, right? Well, I talked to everybody that I could find to talk to about it. And they must have all told me the truth because, you know, that's what people do. This is how naive this shit is. And to believe that people, it's like somehow, like, we, we created like a new, it is a religion, and it's like a new form of sainthood. All the scientists are saintly. They would never lie. Unless they object to the consensus, and then they're evil, they're possessed by demons. If you believe anything that science says, just because science says it now, you're a moron. That doesn't mean that everything that you're told by science isn't true. But you should immediately be that detective. I doubt this until I research it and until I understand it. Otherwise, it's nothing but an article of faith. And I don't have to put any issue in that for everything I said to be relevant to so much shit that we're going on today. On uh, COVID, um, I'm not going to go long on this one, but the British have been granted one of their limited freedoms back. I don't even think you have to be vaccinated to have this limited freedom restored to you. So, in a lot of parts of Britain, I guess you've been able to go to parks. If you socially distance, triple mask, stick your thumb up your ass to keep COVID from spreading, and uh, I don't know, you know, wear a cat on your face. You could go to the park. But much like our stupid restrictions in some parts of the United States, we're like, you can go to a bar, but only if you order food, but French fries aren't food. 
And chicken wings aren't food. But if you order a burger, you can have a beer. But you can't just have a beer. Like that kind of stupidity. You were not allowed to sit on a park bench in Britain in a park. Well, officially today, the benevolent god that is the British government has granted back to the British people, the subjects of the great land of Britain and the United Kingdom, the freedom to sit on a park bench. And Britons as a whole are celebrating this on Twitter. They're posting how happy they are to be able to sit on a bench. Now, if you read through it, the person that wrote the article that was looking for people that were actually happy about it might miss a little bit of dry British humor and sarcasm. And there's a couple in there that you're like, eh, I think this person is mocking the whole thing. But most of them, no, they're really happy. One guy is lamenting the fact that while he can go out and sit on a bench in a park now, he has no buddy to sit with him. All his, all his mates are working. And he's the only one off today. And he'll have to go sit by himself. If you think this is about your safety. I'm sorry, you're a moron. Let's move on. Um, finishing up with Bitcoin, I want you to really understand what I mean when I say 2021. I think is going to go down as the year that crypto takes over the world. Uh, again, I, I need you to understand that this does not mean go out, liquidate your kid's college fund, and buy a bunch of Bitcoin. Um. If you'd have done that 10 years ago, it would have worked out really well. But it, it just as easily could not have. This is always a risk play. But I think we're entering a point now where we have to be honest that I don't think we can go back from where we are. And institutions start to look at something differently. They don't care about the price of a thing. They care more about the market capitalization of a thing. Because once it gets to a certain size, if you heard it too, too big to fail... Once it gets to a certain size, there's enough people and things invested in it that if the government tries to regulate it to zero, it hurts them. And it also is the case that once it gets to a certain size, a lot of people that actually influence government become interested in it. They value it, and they don't want it to be regulated to zero. So they send these people called lobbyists into the chambers that you are told are sacred, so the police, just think about that with this whole stupid shit about the insurrection supposedly because of Trump, right? The sacred hallowed chamber. The place where the criminals meet to discuss how to frickin' destroy your life and steal your property and money is sacred. All bullshit. Anyway, you, they, they, there are people that are allowed into that sacred chamber to play grab ass, right? And, and, and have, you know, financial masturbation with your masters called lobbyists. And once you get to something in the, the neighborhood of like a trillion dollar market cap, there's lobbyists. If there's something worth a trillion dollars, it has a lobby. You, you, you follow that? So what you're starting to see is more and more of this institutional money. And everybody was talking about how Tesla and Elon Musk put a billion and a half dollars in January into cryptocurrency, into specifically Bitcoin. A Norwegian firm has just announced that it just purchased 1,170 Bitcoin, that's about a half a billion dollars, for its treasury, and it says its strategy is to hold. And H-O-D-L. If you're in crypto, you know what that means. If you don't, I'm not going to bother explaining it today. But that means they do not plan to sell. They're not buying it for trading purposes. They're buying it as a financial reserve. Now, when you start having this company comes in with a billion and a half, this comes in with a half billion, this real money. That's real money. When you take that against, there's about 18 million Bitcoin in existence, about 3 million more to be mined ever in the history of all Bitcoin. 
a halving every three years of how much new Bitcoin is produced, you start to understand why this is happening. How many firms can do this? How many firms can do this? I want you to think about this. A billion, right? A billion is a thousand million. So the, the answer to what would account for the entire market cap of Bitcoin right now, which is around a trillion dollars, is a thousand companies holding a billion dollars. And you, you've accounted for a hundred percent of the current market cap. Now the market cap can't stay where it is and allow that to happen. On the other side of this, it looks like, we're not sure yet, but it looks like we're going to get approval for a Bitcoin ETF. Now, I want you to ask yourself, what are the odds of this happening in the United States, and why would it? So remember we talked about those little scumbags called lobbyists and trillions of dollars? Once you're getting to a point where things become this transparent about the value of this asset, the people that come out with an ETF to directly invest in Bitcoin, Ethereum, other cryptocurrencies, but just Bitcoin alone, this trillion-dollar asset now, do you think they're going to make some money doing that? Do you think it's important to them? Do you think they want the opportunity to make that money? Do you? Okay. So do you think those people might employ some of those scumbag lobbyists? And do you think that your phone calls or the investments lobbyists make in the re-election campaign funds of your Congress has greater influence over the Congress? So I think you're going to get your ETF this year. And I think when you do that, you're at another layer of you can't meet the demand. If 10% of IRAs in this country decided they each wanted to invest, I don't know, 5% of their money in Bitcoin, you can't not have $200,000 Bitcoin, minimum. Now, will it happen? I, I'm not saying it will. I'm saying that that's the math. It can't be done. You can't just make more. You can't control C and control V Bitcoin. It'd be worthless if you could. And I'm back to our quote, man. If a window of opportunity appears, don't pull down the shade. And I just want you to think about the people that say, I missed the opportunity. How many times have a, has a person that says that today said it in the past? When Bitcoin was $300, oh, man, you know, I remember when it was 50 cents, I missed the opportunity. A few months later, it's $1,100. Oh, man, I missed the opportunity. A little bit from there, it's $7,000. Oh, I missed the opportunity. Let's see, you know, it's like 15, 18 grand. Oh, I missed the opportunity. Falls all the way down to $3,000. See? I told you it was going to go broke. Goes up to like four grand. I missed the opportunity. I, 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 Closing that shade, man, because you don't understand it. I, I seriously mean this. If you have disposable money, Taco Bell money, Las Vegas money, any kind of money like that, money that if you spend it and it's gone, you're not going to cry. It's not going to change your life. You're not going to get evicted. You're not going to not be able to pay your bills. Some piece of that, not all of it, some piece of that needs to go into this space. This is going to revolutionize the world. We have, right now, I'm not going to dig into this deep today, but there's basically one of the largest financial firms in the world that's hell-bent this year on setting up basically a cryptocurrency banking system. You've got a new technology in strike that allows people to send money from the United States to Japan, have it convert, and cost no money. None. Zero. And somebody 
brought up with me when I talked about strike and said, but they have a big problem. So what's their big problem? Well, if you want to go over a certain amount of limitation, like you want to send over a certain amount of money, you have to do KYC, which is know your customer, prove your identity. How's that different than any bank? So I can either do that with my bank, right, or my credit card. Do you think you're going to get a credit card and nobody knows who you are? Right? You get a gift card, I guess, but you're not getting a credit card nobody knows who you are. It's credit. You ain't a bank account without nobody knowing who you are. So I have my bank account that I had to go through all those hoops for, and I want to send you money in Japan. What's it cost me and how long does it take? And, you know, if I sent you like a lot of money, let's say like 11 grand over that $10,000 magic unicorn number, it sends off all kinds of bells and whistles. Maybe there's a suspicious activity report, you know, what? right? So if I'm using Strike and I've done KYC and I want to send you money, I just send you money. Again, if it's 3.30 a.m. on a Sunday on Christmas morning, you have your money in seconds. No cost to either one of us. We have DeFi. We have decentralized exchanges, Nexus. We are starting to see instruments developed for crypto lending with security of smart contracts backing them. I think by the end of this year, most people who really wanted to do it would be able are going to be able to go out and mortgage a home using a crypto asset. We have major countries not only working on their own cryptocurrencies, we have some that are adopting these other cryptocurrencies, like smaller nations. The Marshall Islands is developing its own cryptocurrency, but they're building it on Algorand, the thing I started talking about at the beginning. So even if they have their own cryptocurrency, it's built on a platform that's independent from them. You can't put this back. This is like when the internet first came out and people realized how much freedom it offered. They said rightfully, government really didn't understand what it was doing when it helped like make this thing happen. So the, the, the internet's going to go away. I remember my dad telling me this back around 2001. The internet's going to go broke. It's going to go broke. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? It turned out he was talking about AOL's going to go broke. Oh, yeah, maybe. They did eventually. But the Internet and AOL, like he didn't even understand the Internet and AOL weren't the same thing. He didn't get it. And there's so many people in the crypto space like that today. They're not, my dad is a smart man. He's made a fortune in investments. In just conventional stock investments. A fortune. A literal fortune. But he didn't understand the Internet. No way he could possibly understand it. He kept telling me, you're going to get a big bill talking to those people all over the world one day. It was kind of funny, too. This was I had to stay with him for like a couple weeks when I was in transition from living, in, Pens living in, in Texas to living in Pennsylvania. I was moving my family up there. I hadn't closed on my new house yet. So the easiest thing was to stay there. And I'm working. I'm doing my job. And I have to log in several times a day, do reporting and stuff like that. So I was using AOL back then, believe it or not, for remote access. Anyway, because you dial up numbers. Well, this is before the whole landscape changed in telecom. And he lives in this little podunk town. And so all of the AOL numbers were in-state long distance. So I ended up with a bill for like 80 bucks worth of phone calls, and he thought it was an Internet bill. And to this day, I, don't think he, he's, I still don't think he understands what the bill was for. I paid it. It was no big deal. But I, I see, and this is, this is where people are. I think we hit a point where we, we've taken everything as it is up to this point, and we can't go further anymore. And I think it is connected to age. And I think it hits us 
really hard after 50, but I think it really hits us hard about 60 to 66. And to get somebody that's at that, to me, 66 is that where you've really crossed it. At that age, the person that can see the new and embrace it is not non-existent, but it's very rare. It's far more rare than the person at 26 being able to do it. And I think there's a lot of people, because this is so radical, it, it throttled that that age of acceptance back. And then on the same side, usually it's the young people that embrace new ideas. But our youngest people, there's never been a generation of people that consider themselves more educated who are actually more ignorant. And I don't say that insulting. It's not their fault. And they are educated. But how you're educated is one thing, but what you're educated in is another. And if you're taught something, and it's done well enough that you believe what you're taught, but what you're taught is wrong, you're worse off than the person that knows they don't know. And, and that's where we are with this, guys. People, smart people, can be ignorant of a thing. And I don't think there's ever been a thing that people have more ignorance of than what's happening in this space right now. And there's a resistance to it that once you get past it, you forget that you had it. it it's hard to understand. Because I remember when I first heard about Bitcoin, I'm like, come on. Come on. But the minute I comprehended what it did, how it did it, and why it worked, it was on. The light bulb moment. So I'm going to, again, throw out an invitation here to get involved with cryptocurrency. And you can do that the easiest way I know if you don't have any and you haven't received any and you need to buy some is PayPal. Now, you're going to ask for my bank account, my social security card, and all that. That's not what crypto is supposed to be. If you want to buy it for cash in general, yes, it is. Okay? And just because you have to pay tax on a thing, like are you going to get rid of all your stocks because you don't want to pay tax on the gains? And understand if you buy a cryptocurrency and hold it, you owe no taxes until you sell it, until you realize the gain. Okay? Um, I'm also going to throw out my invitation to consider getting on and start using pre-search. You're not going to get rich doing it. You're not going to get rich doing it. But you probably search the web multiple times every day anyway. And I think they knocked their payout down a little bit because they've, they've taken off. And they only have so much in reserve to do it with. But they're giving out like 0.12 pre per search you run on pre-search. Don't go try to scam it. They do have filters in place to make sure you're not just searching for a bunch of random shit that you don't give any, you don't care about, right? But I would get on pre-search and get on Odyssey slash library where they'll pay you a little bit of crypto just for like watching videos and sharing videos and stuff like that. Like those are three things that you can do to get a soft entry into this. If you want to buy um, Algorand, I, again, I think they're listed on um, PayPal. So if you have some, you know, have a PayPal account or whatever and you can buy stuff in PayPal, I think you can just get your Algo there. Uh, Coinex, which I'll put a link in the show notes to as well today, I've been buying Algorand there with my Coinbase money because I don't do anything on Coinbase except receive money from Coinbase. That's literally the only thing I do with Coinbase. Um, it's a little easier for me because, well, I, I sell something for cryptocurrency. And that's my last little bit of advice here. The number one thing that you can do for yourself right now, if you're in business, is sell something in your business in exchange for cryptocurrency. I just helped my wife do that. We have a customer who knows me through the show and all who buys eggs from us. 
And he's always, do you want Litecoin? Do you want? And my wife's always like, I want cash. And she'll come to me and go, Well, do you want? Do you want them? You know, do you want to? Do you want him to pay in Litecoin? I'm like, I don't want him to pay in Litecoin. This is my wallet. Like, this is your business. You should run it. So I set her up with a wallet, and now she's she's taking cryptocurrency in her business. I told her it's your business, not mine. And it's not about like we don't share assets or something like that. We're not one of those families. We, I don't understand that. People are like we keep our separate accounts or whatever. No, but the business has its own revenue stream. And that revenue stream should go to a single place. This is a rule of business, not a rule of marriage. And I wanted her to learn how to use it. So I set her up with it. She's using it. She's like, wow, that was easy. Guys, if you want to start taking cryptocurrency in your business, I, I can't repeat this strongly enough. You don't need anything special. Get a wallet. Coinami, Exodus, Jax. I don't give a damn. And when somebody says, I want to pay in, as long as that wallet holds that currency, generate an address and give it to them. And I want to throw one more thing out here, because every time I talk about this, I don't understand why you're not recommending a hardware wallet. Because I'm recommending this for people that are just getting started in cryptocurrency, and they don't have enough money for it to be worth them having a hardware wallet. The end. Infinity. And I figure when you get to a point where you have significant holdings, and you want to move over to a hardware wallet, you'll learn about it. That's how that's how simple that is. Anyway, with that, I want to go ahead and wrap things up. I want to remind you guys that you can help support the show simply by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. You go there, no matter what you buy, you'll help support us as long as you start there. Today's item of the day is the Gerber Dime Multi-Tool. Um, this is like basically like a miniature Leatherman is the way to think about it. It folds up about the size of, if you drive a modern car and it comes with a key that's not really a key, Except it's got the little hidden key inside of it, and it's got little buttons on it, and you get in the car, and it knows, and you push a button, and the car starts. It's about as big as one of those, maybe a little smaller when it's folded up. But as a pliers, pair of scissors, a little file, uh, Phillips end straight screwdriver, bottle opener, can opener, retail package opener, which is really great, straight blade, uh, little knife blade as well, um, and it just works. And I really like larger multi-tools. In fact, my my multi-tool of choice is a Leatherman Wave. But it is kind of big, and I don't carry it all the time. Because you know, if we go too far with our EDC, we start looking like a retarded Batman. I'm sorry, we do. We just look like, like what is wrong with this person? Why do they like have a utility belt on them or whatever, you know? Um, but I always have my keys around, especially if I'm when I'm most likely to be somewhere where I can't just go to my shop and grab a pair of pliers. Or open my junk drawer in my kitchen and grab a screwdriver. When I'm away, I, if I'm away, I have keys with me. I have to get back in my house. I have to drive my car. So having this there means I have those tools available to me. It is not as good as, but it's good. Um, I did break one. If you want to know how, you can read the write-up. But, man, it was uh, it took a Herculean thing. And I knew what I was doing, and I wanted to see can it, how much can it take, and I found the answer. Um, but for the stuff that it's supposed to do, It's just fantastic. One lives on my keychain. I think one should live on yours, too. And they're under 20 bucks. the Gerber Dime Multi-Tool. And remember, you can always find all the items I recommend and support us just by going to tspaz.com. Also, really think about getting on the Telegram channel. There's a lot of ways you can stay connected with us. Go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Get Social, you'll see them all. The Telegram channel is among the best, and I'll tell you why. First, it's the channel, not the group. We have a group, too, where people talk to each other. On the channel... The only thing you'll get is alerts from me. 
and it only pertains to the show. Even when I'm sharing like news stories and stuff like that on Float or MeWe, I don't do that on the channel. It's basically, it's a post on the blog, it goes there, and then you know about it. Or a new video I posted, it goes there and you know about it. It's everything that goes in the Daily Mail, but it happens in real time instead of at one time at the end of the day. Why is this important? With T-SPAS, there are times when I will find a freaking smoking deal like the $200 deal on the brushless combo from DeWalt that's like a $400 product. And often by the time the Daily Mail goes out, you know what happens? It's sold out. It's gone. So if you're on the alerts, you'll get it in real time, and you'll be able to get these great deals, and you'll find out other things that you know you, you may not otherwise. I love you guys following me on social media, but even on a social media like MeWe and Float that shows you everything, well, if you only check in a couple times a day, My stories and my information can get buried. If you're on the Telegram channel, whenever you open it, it's, and you, you know, you can, on Telegram, you can have lots of different channels and lots of different groups and lots of different contacts. But when you pull up mine, there it is. And you don't have the crosstalk. So consider doing that as well. With that, let's talk about our song of the day today. Uh, this is by Gary Allen. I really like this song. Um, It's relatively new, new for me. I'm old, an old fart, so new to me is like 1995, right? Uh, this is from 2012, and it's on the album Set You Free, and the song is called Every Storm Runs Out of Rain. And I think that's true. I think that whatever we're going through, you know, short of dying, and, and then you have other philosophical beliefs about that, but sooner or later we get through anything that we stay the course through. No matter what happens to us, you feel like you can't win, you feel like you're being pushed around, you can get through and you can get to the other side. The other thing, though, is this pandemic is a storm that will run out of rain, but not for everybody. There are times when life throws shit at us, and it's not like a typical storm. There is a, a fundamental reality that if there's actually a storm... You might have to take cover, go into you know quarantine in your basement because there's a tornado or something. But no matter what happens, as long as it doesn't take you out, weather changes and it will pass. And I think this song comes from that angle. But it was written in 2012, not 2020. Or 2021 when the motivations of the people behind this shit have become abundantly clear to anybody with an IQ over 100. Honest to God, if you can't see it now, you never will. And that's the people that I don't think this storm will ever run out of rain for. I promise you. I promise you that we will be going into 2022 and there will still be supposed experts selling you to trust the science that will tell you it is not safe yet to stop wearing a mask in public. And there is a significant number of people, I saw them this weekend when I went out, it makes me sad in my heart that we'll do it. I've watched people driving by themselves in cars with masks on. I watch them walking alone through parking lots with masks on. It doesn't make any sense to me. Every storm will run out of rain unless you go out of your way to make sure that doesn't happen. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. So you're standing in the middle of the thunder and lightning 
I know you're feeling like you just can't win, but you're trying. It's hard to keep on keeping on when you're being pushed around. Don't even know which way is up. You just keep spinning down, round, down. Every storm runs, runs out of range. Just like every dark night turns into day. Every heartache will fade away. Just like every storm runs, runs out of range. Something more and walk out that door. Go find a new rose. Don't be afraid of the thorns, 'cause we all have thorns. Just put your feet up to the edge. Put your face in the wind. And when you fall back down, keep on remembering. Set you free.